Welcome to Bible Insights with Wayne Conrad. God's Word is a lamp to our feet, a light on our path, and the entrance of His words give understanding. They impart knowledge to the simple. I want to tell you about a sign that Jesus did. It's recorded as to be the first sign that he did for the benefit of his disciples, which at that point number about five, at a wedding feast in Cana of Galilee. And John, who was there because he's one of their first disciples of Jesus, is the one who records this incident for us. It's found in the Gospel of John, chapter 2, in the opening verses. This is what it says. On the third day, now that's going to be the third day from the events that had been occurring. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. So we can assume, based on this information, that this involved family. And there's probably a lot of people there, probably most of the the town maybe of Cana of Galilee, at least 100 or 200 people easily. Cousins and friends, relatives, you know. So the mother of Jesus was there, and she plays a very important feast, a a part in the feast, as we'll see. Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. Now, you see, he's left Judea. He's gathered some disciples around him, and he is up in the home territory around Nazareth, Cana of Galilee, a neighboring village or town. And at this point, he has, I think, about five disciples. Let's count and see. There was John and Andrew, who were disciples of John the Baptist, who when John said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, they immediately left John and began to follow Jesus. And they gathered a couple of people around them. You see, Andrew had a brother whose name was Simon. We later know him as Peter. So he went and told him. And so he came and joined the party. And then there was John. Uh, It doesn't mention anything about his brother James at this point, so he's not among them. But later, maybe the next day, later in that day, Jesus searches for and finds Philip. It's interesting. The scripture says Jesus found Philip and called him. And Philip immediately went to his good friend, we could assume maybe like a best friend named Nathaniel and told him, I have found the Christ. And so Nathaniel comes. So we have Nathaniel and Philip, and we have Andrew and Peter and John. Those are the early disciples of Jesus, and they've been invited with Jesus to this wedding feast. And so they're attending the feast, and the wine runs out. Now, that's a terrible situation. You having a feast, a wedding feast, where there's to be joy, jubilation, and dancing, and all these things, and the wine runs out. And the mother of Jesus comes to him and says, they have no wine. So on this basis, we know that Jesus' mother has something to do with the organization of the wedding. And so they're out of wine. So she comes and tells Jesus, her firstborn son, and Jesus makes sort of a strange reply to her. It sort of comes out harsh in our English translations. It's really not harsh, but it is a question about why are you bothering me with this? Because you see, my hour is not yet come. But this is what it says in the ESV. Jesus said to her, woman, 
What does this have to do with me? (laughs) My hour has not yet come. Now, that's a very important phrase. My hour has not yet come. What hour is he talking about? Well, as we keep reading of the Gospel of John, we come across this phrase phrase a number of times. John 7.30, they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid hand on him because his hour had not yet come. John 8.20, these words he spoke in the treasuries he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him. Why? Because his hour had not yet come. And then later on, as it gets near the hour, Jesus starts talking about it. But in John 12, 23, Jesus answered him, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. That's in the week leading up to the crucifixion. So on this basis, we know the hour that Jesus is talking about is the hour the Father has set for him to die on the cross on behalf of the elect for whom Jesus has come on the rescue mission. All that the Father has given to me will come to me, Jesus says. And he talks about that in his great prayer recorded in John 17. Well, he wants her to know that just because he is her son, she cannot expect that he will just do her bidding. Woman, what has this to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now, his mother, though, doesn't take this as a rebuke to her, nor as a basis for not believing. What she says to her servants is do whatever he tells you. In other words, he, she just leaves it in his hands. She informed him, my hour's not yet come. He gives a re- report, a retort, we kind of say. It's, it's not really a harsh one, though it sort of sounds that way a little to us. But she tells the servants, do whatever he tells you. She had full confidence that her son would take care of the situation. Now, we're informed by John, who's there, who's witnessing all this, who's hearing this conversation between mother and son. There's six stone jars there. And when you first read that, well, just jars, you know. But now, this is a wedding feast with 100 or 200 people there. And we're told by John himself that there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification. You see, the Jews, when they came to eat meals, must have their hands washed. That is, they put their hands out and water had to be poured over them, usually by a servant or by the host. Someone took care of their guest. He poured the water over their hands. That sort of cleanliness was also a a sign. It was a purification ritual ordained by the law. And so that's why this water was there. A lot of water, six stone jars, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Now, if you calculate that, that's either between 120 and 130 gallons of water in these big Joan stone jars. So Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. That's all he says. And they filled them with the water. They did what? He said, because why? Mary, who was sort of in charge, said to them, do whatever he tells you. So they filled them to the brim with water. And now Jesus gives him this command. Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. He did not tell them, look, I've done something to the water. He just said, draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. And so they drew it out. They took it. But as they took it, 
they noticed that it wasn't water anymore. It was wine. And so they took it and they gave it to the master of the feast. That'd be the master of ceremonies, the one in charge. He's at the head table. And the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine. And he did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. But he took the first taste, a swallow of that wine, and his face broke out in great joy. The master of the feast called the bridegroom, and he said to him, Look, look, everyone serves the good wine first, and when the people have drunk freely, then he gives them the poor wine. But you've kept the good wine until now. Man, this is great stuff. (laughs) This is the first of the signs that Jesus did in Cana of Galilee. The first sign that Jesus did. Now, the sign, you see, is a real event. It's a real event that carries special meaning. And it's a sign pointing to Jesus. What about Jesus? It's pointing to his glory. It says, this was the first of his signs. Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. Now, he didn't manifest his glory by some halo appearing on his head or around his head. He didn't manifest his glory by some incantation, saying some kind of magic words over the water. He did nothing but told the servants, fill them to the brim, fill it with the water to the brim, and then take it to the master of ceremonies. They did as they obeyed, but when they poured the water into those jars, it became wine. They could smell it. They took it to the master of the feast, and he broke out in the broadest of smiles, happy, this is the great wine, and ready to serve it to everyone. This is the first of signs. Now, that tells us that there are other signs to follow that will manifest to his disciples his glory. Notice the purpose of the sign is for his disciples to see, to have proof, to have verification that he is who they are understanding him to be. That is what? The king of Israel, the son of God. Now, they didn't understand necessarily at that point, son of God is indicating deity, but they didn't understand it as kingship associated with King David, king of Israel. And the the word says, John records, and his disciples, that would include him, believed in him. They saw the sign. They experienced the sign because they were guests too and drank this great wine, water into wine. The first sign to his disciples of his glory, the glory of his person, a glory that's hidden, but nevertheless, a glory that now is outshining by this great miracle. And after the wedding feast is over and everybody disperses, Jesus also dispersed and went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples. And he stayed there for a few days. Now we're going to learn that the reason he goes to Capernaum is because Jesus has either rented or bought a house, he secured a house in Capernaum, which is going to serve as his headquarters, not Nazareth, but Capernaum. And so he 
his mother, his brothers, and these new five disciples, they all came home with him and stayed for a few days. Now, in reading this account, there are significant words that we should pay attention to. And the, the noting of signs is very important in the Gospel of John. After all, he tells us in John 20, the one reason he wrote write this book, wrote these scrolls, was that he wanted to tell about the signs that Jesus did in the presence of his disciples. There's more than this, but he's chosen seven or eight of them, we'll see, that are written in this book. But there are many others he did that are not written in these books. But the ones that are written are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have life in his name. Now, these are significant words. Wine is important. It's an important word in this passage. And it's not the last time we encounter the word wine. We certainly find it at the Lord's Supper, where Jesus took the cup. He gave thanks and he offered it to his disciples and said to them, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So Jesus identifies the cup and the wine in that cup, the fruit of the vine, with his blood by which the new covenant is instituted is brought into, brought into being. Now, he had mentioned the new covenant earlier with reference to wine, such as in Luke chapter 5, verse 37 and 39, when he gave this parable, no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine will burst the wineskins and be spilled, and the wineskins will be burned. But new wine must be put into new wineskins, and both are preserved. What's he talking about? He's talking about his kingdom. He's talking about the new covenant that he is bringing into being. You can't just put it into the old covenant. You can't just put Christianity into Judaism. No, what Christ has come is new, and it has a new form. It has new signs. It has a great newness about it. And one of the great newness about it is that like that water that had been turned into wine, there had been a change in its nature so that's what happens to those who come to Christ believing. Why? Because God has changed their nature. God has done a work of regeneration within them. And the evidence of that regeneration, immediate evidence, is that they believe. They repent of their old way of thinking and orientation and turn in faith to Jesus as the Christ. This is... The significance of the word wine and the significance of the phrase my hour, we've already seen. It indicates the destiny, the hour of his destiny of being sacrificed on the cross of Calvary. Now, there's one more thing that we need to note in this passage. It's right after this. We're not going to read it now because it'll be my next podcast. Jesus goes next to the temple in Jerusalem at Passover. And at this point, he cleanses the temple. And the people ask, what sign do you give? Well, next time, we'll talk about that. Okay? This has been Wayne Conrad with Bible Insights, looking at the signs that point to Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God, and the Savior of the world. Do you believe in him? You should. 
all the signs point to him.